The Carter Report presents Mission and Message A new look at the church and its future Is the church an endangered species or is a time of explosive growth just ahead? Now, here's John Carter Today we're talking about the message. This is part two. The Bible teaches in the very last days a great message arises and it gets people ready for the judgment day. This is the message of the three angels of Revelation chapter 14. This is just what we've been talking about. The first part of that message is the preaching of the gospel or the good news. Now, what on earth is the gospel? The good news is not about us. There's no good news about us. The good news is about God. The good news is this, that God, because he loves the world, in the person of his own son, God became a human being. And the Bible tells us he died for our sins on the cross to bring us to God. Jesus, wait for this, Jesus, in essence, is God of very God from all eternity. And he when he came to this earth, however, he was a carpenter. Did you know? He was not a part of any religious establishment. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He was not employed by a church organization. He did not serve on a committee. He was not a member of a political party. He was not a Republican or a Democrat. <laughs> he never held a position of influence in the government. He never held office in any organization, he never traveled more than a couple of hundred miles and he never wrote a book. And yet, he's the most influential person, uh, the most important person in the history of the human race. Now, the book of Revelation written by John also has another book, uh, the book of Revelation has a complementary book because it's written by the same person, and that is the Gospel of John. Now, please take your Bible and turn to John chapter 1 and verses 1 down to 3, please, if you don't mind. Now, John, the man who wrote the book of Revelation, said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the word is Christ. The Word was with God and the Word was God and he became a human being. And the greatest text in the whole Bible is John chapter 3 and it's verse 16. The Bible says, But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is the word of the gospel. Now, folks, perhaps the main reason I believe in Jesus Christ and the Bible 
is because he presents the only solution to the human problem. The Bible describes me perfectly. When I read the Bible and I read the characters in the Bible, I can see my own sins, all of my faults, all of my problems. There's something dreadfully wrong with the human race. It is called sin that causes all the troubles that afflict humanity. We all have this problem. We are born in a state of rebellion and alienation to God. And the good news is that God, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, became a real man. Quite amazing, isn't it? And he died for your sins and my sins on the cross. And if I believe this, my life has changed. Um, there's a story of an old skeptic. It's an old story and it's true. This old man was dying. He was the president of an atheistic society. He was dying. And so a young man went across with his little girl and talked to him and the young man said, the young father said, um, maybe I can leave you my old Bible, my Bible. And the skeptic said, I don't want your old Bible. Get out of here. <sighs> and uh, later on, this little girl, thinking about it, she thought to herself, well, he doesn't want daddy's old Bible. I've got a new Bible that I got for my birthday. Maybe he'll like my new Bible. So she went over and knocked on the door and he came out and she said, really sorry that you don't want daddy's old Bible, but maybe you'll have my new Bible. What do you say to a little girl? So this famous atheist took the little girl's new Bible. And as he read it, and I promise this will happen to you. If you read the Bible and read the Gospels and the Word of God, a change will happen in here. You'll be changed inside. The old man died. And when they went through his belongings, they discovered this. This is a completely true story. It's almost too good to be true. I've tried in vain a thousand ways, my fears to quell, my hopes to raise. But what I need, the Bible says, is ever only Jesus. My, my soul is night, my heart is steel, I cannot see, I cannot feel. For light, for life, I must appeal in simple faith to Jesus. He died, he lives, he reigns, he pleads. There's love in all his words and deeds. There's all a guilty sinner needs forevermore in Jesus. Though some should sneer and some should blame, I'll go with all my guilt and shame. I'll go to him because his name above all names is Jesus.
Jesus knows the problem in our hearts and he has the solution. It is called the gospel. And the good news of Christ is our message. Would you notice Revelation 14 and verse 7? Read it before, going to read it again. Revelation, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. What does it mean? The Bible says, Fear God. Give glory to him because we live in the time of the judgment. It means that we need to treat God with respect. I want to tell you folks something. I get a shudder every time I hear some person say, oh my God, or talk about Jesus Christ. The Bible says, fear God, respect God. And when you respect God, you'll respect people who are made in his image. You will not be calling them names. You will not be putting down people because they're of a different color to you or a different social status. Fear God, give glory to him. In El Salvador, I went up in the mountains. I had a meeting with a hundred pastors. They were really soldiers, soldiers of the cross. I'm going to say this to you all. This is going to be seen in Australia. I don't say this to embarrass anybody, but some people need to be embarrassed. I met with these pastors in this country that is filled with crime and gangs. I noticed They dressed as though they were going to see the President of the United States. They were going to see Christ. They sang uh, with, a, with a passion that came up from their bellies. Uh, I thought to myself, what's happened in America to the church? What's happened to the church in Australia where people go to church as though they, they're going to a beach party. Maybe I'm terribly old-fashioned. I learned something here in El Salvador. I was blessed. The, hour, the Bible says the hour of his judgment has come. Daniel the prophet in chapter 7 of his book wrote about a judgment that takes place, uh, takes place before the return of Christ. And it says, worship the creator. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. When I was a boy of 19 or 20, Beverly and I, who were at Avondale College, went down to Sydney. We went to hear a preacher preaching to 150,000 people. Of course, in Australia, people had said, Oh, this just this just can't happen. Nobody in secular Australia is going to go and hear this preacher. <laughs> How little they knew. And then I heard a man sing before Billy got up to preach. And he sang a song that had made this pilgrimage 
It started in Sweden, where it was composed, then it went to Germany, then to Russia, and then came to the USA. And I heard this man sing the song. Oh, Lord, my God. Uh, of course, you know the song. George Beverly Shea, Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed, then sings my soul. What about it when we go to church? We're going to the football match, going to a beach party, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. We're talking here about worship. They had it in El Salvador. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Christians everywhere have lost the art of worshipping God. Many of our hymns are about me, me, me. Worship is not about me. It is about Christ and sings my soul. Revelation 14 and verse 8 is the second angel's message. Another angel followed them saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she had made all nations drink of the wine uh, of the wrath uh, of her fornication. Now, this is the message we're called to preach. Babylon is a great religious system that is active in the world today. I have been to the old city of Babylon many times. It was a city that was built on the worship of false gods. Babylon is alive and well today. Today, there are many gods that we worship, but only one God. Then Revelation 14, 9 and 10, you have the most controversial message in the world. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead, or on his hand, he himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God. Goodness me. Uh, we naturally avoid talking about it. I know by experience, if you preach it, you will be a marked man. You may even get your name in uh, the black book. You will receive threats. But God says, preach it. People say, no, no, don't talk about that stuff anymore. We've grown. Uh, you're right. We've grown 
beyond God. That's the problem. God says, preach it. Going to preach about the beast? The Bible says, preach it. Preach it with love. Preach it with tact. Preach it with compassion. But preach it. Oh, no, I, I, I couldn't. Well, then you are not a part of God's last day movement. So God says, you preach it and preach it and preach it and preach it covered by the blood of Christ. Preach it with love. Preach it in the context of the cross of Christ. But preach it because the Bible says it is the preaching of that whole package, the gospel, creation, the judgment, a warning against Babylon, and then the great message about the beast, the image and the mark of the beast. That is the message. And the mission of the church is to preach the message with love, with tact, but preach it. I can tell you stories, but not now. Our mission is not to be popular. Oh, but I, I want to know. Our mission is not to be popular, political, prejudiced, panicky or pigeon-hearted. God is looking for men and women who will preach it in the context of the cross. We are called to please God. We're not called to please the church and we're not called to please some committee. We are called to please God, so help us God. Have you heard of Bloody Clever House? John Graham of Claverhouse. He lived in 17th century Scotland. He was a great persecutor of the Protestants. There was a little group of Protestant pastors who were being kept alive in a cave up in the Scottish Highlands. And a little Scottish boy would take them food every day. But there are always informers. The lowest of the low. And they informed on this little boy. And Cleverhouse got the little boy by the scruff of the neck, rode over to a cliff and held him out at arm's length and said, Tell me, laddie, where are the ministers? And then he said, look down, laddie. It's a long way down there. It's a long way down there. But the little boy screwed his neck around. He said, it's a long way down, but not as far as hell. And then he said the words, I canna. And I will not. That's good Scottish theology. I cannot and I will not. I will stand for what I believe in. 
I canna and I willna. That, of course, was the spirit of the Scottish Protestants who refused to betray their own people. It is that same courage that is needed in these last days. I canna and I willna. You see, look at Revelation 14, 12. Revelation 14 and verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. It doesn't say here are those who keep the commandments of the church. It says here are those who keep the commandments of God. And the Bible says, here is the patience of the saints. So you'll never be a dead saint unless you're a living saint who keeps the commandments of God. And in the commandments of God, you have two great institutions. One is the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, and the other one is marriage and both are being trampled underfoot today by the world and much of the church. But in the last days, God will raise up the people like that little Scottish boy, I cannot and I will not, and they will uphold the commandments of Christ and especially the Sabbath and marriage. And you know what marriage is. They will be God's people doing God's mission and preaching God's message in God's way. And the Bible says they will triumph. It will take a little bit of courage to be saved in these last days. Look at Revelation 15. Verses 2 and 3. Uh, Revelation 15 and verses 2 and 3. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have the victory over the beast and his image and over his mark and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Listen to me. The people of God, even though they may be persecuted, will triumph and get home to glory. That is a fact. Years ago, I ran a campaign in the great and the beautiful city of Melbourne, the capital of Victoria in Australia. Uh, had a beautiful uh, audience of thousands and thousands of people in the great Dallas Brooks Theatre. In the audience every night, sitting in that great theatre, seated thousands, was a beautiful young woman, husband and two little kids. Came to every meeting. After a while... You get to know people in the audience and know where they're sitting. And one night she wasn't there. 
and weeks went by and she wasn't there. Husband came to me and said, would you come to my home? I said, why? She's very sick. She used to have this long, beautiful hair. When I went to the home, she had no hair, dying of cancer. I went in and sat beside a bed. I read her John 3.16. And I told her, my dear, you're going to get your hair back. She said, I'm afraid. So I read her the texts of the Bible, read her from the book of Psalms and so forth, and the fear went out of the room. I never saw her again. But I will because she'll be home safe with Jesus in glory. Listen to me, my friends. God has got a message that will go to the world. It will triumph gloriously. And the people who follow that message and who preach it are going to live with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. Would you not like to be part of those people who get home to glory and who sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. God has a message and God will have a people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Amen. Time. It takes only a minute to have eternal life. How can you get saved in a minute? It's simple. First, believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Second, accept his free gift of eternal life, and then you're saved. It's not hard. It doesn't take any time. You can be saved in a minute right now. Pray with me. Lord God, I realize that I am a sinner. My sin has separated me from you. I accept that your Son, Jesus Christ, died for me. I ask Jesus into my heart. If you prayed this prayer, you are saved. The next thing to do is tell someone. Fellowship with other followers of Jesus. Get baptized. Read your Bible and pray. Choices. We make them every day, all day. The most important choice you will make in your life is whether to choose eternal life or let it pass you by. If you'd like more information about your new life, call the number and visit our website. In the series, This I Believe, Pastor Carter reveals the heart and soul of the Carter Report. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Ten Commandments. I believe in the true gospel. I believe in the last days. I believe in the America that believes in God. 
I believe in heaven. I believe in evangelism. This, I believe. The seven DVD series, This I Believe, can be yours with a gift of $75 US or $105 Australian. Please write to us at the address on the screen or visit our website at carterreport.org. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.